Welcome back to week number two of our series called Confusing Things That Christians Say. Um, this past summer, I was at a big Christian music festival, and I was walking from show to show when I passed this minivan uh, parked in one of the parking lots where someone had, I think, handwritten a note and stuck it under the back windshield wiper. I'll show you a picture of what the note said. It read, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Uh, It wasn't the first time I'd heard that. Christianity, according to the note, is not a religion, it's a relationship. Have you heard that before? I was down in South America uh, just a few weeks before. I'm in Argentina. I go to this local Argentinian church, and the pastor, he's standing up in front of people like I'm standing up in front of you, and he says to the church, No es una religión, es una relación. Which means, if you don't habla español, uh, it's not a religion, <laughs> it's, it's a relationship. So different continents, different cultures, different languages, but Christians are all saying the same thing these days, that the Christian faith is not a religion, it's a relationship. And I'm kind of curious what you think about that phrase. You agree or disagree or do you kind of feel caught in the middle? I mean, on the one hand, I mean, technically, isn't Christianity a religion? Out of all the world religions, I think it's the biggest religion. Over two billion people are self-confessed Christians when it comes to mark the little box on the census, what religion are you? But then again, just because you're religious or you go to church or say a few prayers, that doesn't mean you necessarily have a real or a close relationship with God. Jesus talked a ton about that, didn't he? But then again, I mean, it wasn't some like random pastor in the 7th century that invented the go-to-church stuff and say-your-prayer stuff. Isn't that kind of stuff in the Bible that we should be religious and have these spiritual habits and disciplines? But then again, when Jesus was walking the earth, didn't he most often yell at, get frustrated with people who went to church and said their prayers, but he claimed that they didn't have a real faith or a real connection to his Father in heaven? But then again, didn't Jesus go to church and say his prayers, and give his offerings? Wouldn't you have to say that Jesus, when it came to his weekend habits, was very, very religious? But then again, haven't you met people who are super religious, but they're really not at all like Jesus? (laughs) They go to church, they have a Bible at home, and yet they're not nice, they're they're not kind, they're not the kind of people that you want to be around? I mean, isn't that where it comes from? Like, just because you're religious, just because you spend Sunday morning in a building... It doesn't make you really close to Jesus. It doesn't make you a person who brings blessing into other people's lives. There, there seems to be so much on either side of the religion and relationship debate. And that's why today I want to slow down. I want to push pause. And I want to closely examine with an open Bible this confusing thing that a lot of Christians say. Is what we're doing here, is what God wants you to do week after week, is be religious or just have a personal relationship with Jesus somewhere in between that's what we're going to unpack before today's amen. Because, in the end, it's not just a Sunday habit. If we can figure out this tension between religion and relationship, we can give to your life a God-given structure and schedule. We can give to you a comfort and a purpose. I would propose to you, I hope, that before this message is over, um, you're not just going to have the answer to that question, but you're going to have a good pattern for how to live your life in a way that receives God's love and gives God's love. So, let's kick off with part one, the religion part. And I'd love for you to grab a pen because let's define what a religion is. Uh, The word religion comes from an old Latin word that literally means to bind. Like B-I-N-D, bind. 
So in the classic technical sense, a religion is something that binds you to beliefs and behaviors. Right? A religious person can't just say, well, I think, or I feel, or this is my truth, or this is what I... No, a religion, at least in the technical sense, binds you to a standard that is outside of you. So in the Christian religion, a truly religious Christian person is someone who is bound to the beliefs and the behaviors that Jesus himself spoke, things that are outside of their heart that they're now binding their heart to. So that's why in Christianity we talk about the Ten Commandments instead of the Ten Suggestions. Um, You're not allowed to make up your own Ten Commandments. It's a standard that's outside of you. It's why early Christians had creeds like the Apostles' Creed, if you've heard of it. They said, this is what the Christian faith is. You and I don't get to decide for ourselves what Christianity is. Here's the things that Jesus taught, the things that we promote, the beliefs that we bind ourselves to. Let me uh, try to describe it like this. I found this uh, stretchy exercise band in my basement. I haven't used it in a long time. Um, let's pretend for a second that this is me. Well, you don't have to pretend. This actually is me. And uh, this is a Bible, the beliefs and behaviors that Jesus promoted. And let's pretend that this stretchy rope is religion. So what a religion is meant to do is take me and this book and bind us together. Right? It's supposed to wrap around with Habits on the weekend with structure, with community, with pastor, with people, with fellowship, so that my connection to this book is much more difficult to let go of. I might personally have days when I'm holding on really strongly to the ways of Jesus, and there might be days when my, my grip is weak. But if I have a religion, if I have these outside standards and these people that keep me accountable, if I have these solid creeds that don't come and go with my emotions and my feelings, a religion is meant to bind me to the teachings of this book and the God that is within it. And this is what Jesus wants. Right? He, he loves us. He wants to be closely connected to us. He knows that it's easy to be distracted. And so he, he wants this system. In the Bible, we actually find a very, very like organized, structured system that Jesus created because he wants to keep you close to the God that is inside this book. Now, some people, maybe even you, when you see this, you say, oh, that looks uncomfortable. <laughs> and religion can be uncomfortable. It binds you, it restricts you, it keeps you accountable, it make, makes you willing to be judged by other people which is something that many people shed and shun these days. But I would propose to you that when you look in the Bible, all of the religion and the structure and the pastors and the services, all that binding is actually meant for your blessing. It reminds me of an old story, a Greek myth you may have heard of. I'll show you a picture of this guy, Ulysses and the Sirens. And you classic history lovers remember the story? Um, Ulysses and his men fought in the Greek-Trojan Wars, and they were taking this long, long, long journey home, this giant odyssey. But between the war and home were all kinds of dangers. Uh, Ulysses was actually married to his wife Penelope, loved her dearly, missed her intensely. He just wanted to get home, but he knew between war and home was this long journey. And Ulysses had been warned that this actually was one of the most dangerous parts of the journey, the island of the sirens. 
Uh, the sirens were able to sing with the most enchanting song. When they were at a distance, you didn't exactly know what they were or who they were, but the sound of their message was so compelling. It was like a magnet for sailors and ships. Except the sirens were vicious monsters who devoured humans and scattered their island with their bones. But Ulysses had been given a heads up that the siren call was nearly irresistible. So he took a bunch of wax, he stuffed it in his sailors' ears, and then he, he commanded the men, before the wax, to bind him to the mast of the ship. So they took the stoutest ropes on the ship and they wrapped Ulysses up so that when he heard the siren call, he, he couldn't go anywhere. As the story goes, when he first hears the siren's voice, it is so beautiful and so compelling that everything in him wants to get closer. He cries out to his men. He begs to be unbound. But they keep sailing on and Ulysses' life is saved. That's like good religion. You see, Jesus knows that there's like a voice out there in the world that sounds so sweet and so compelling that if we hear it without anything holding us back, we might do something that we regret for a long, long time. Right? God's ultimate goal for us is not just to have a good day or a fun week. Like Ulysses, he wants to get us home to a place of infinite and eternal love. He wants to get us to God. But Jesus knows there are a lot of voices that make us forget about God. The siren call of living in the moment, of redefining right and wrong, of doing things my way, it's, it's so compelling because it's just a little bit easier than picking up a cross and following Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? He creates a religion. He, he binds us. He gives us people who know us and love us and are there to encourage us and to judge us. He gives us a pastor to oversee our spiritual situation, to speak a message outside of us so we don't redefine truth in our own way. He wants to get us to God and religion is the way he does it. Jesus' half-brother James actually spoke about this. James chapter 1 is where we find these words. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This word outside of us, this word that Jesus preached, it can save us, forgive us, rescue us. And so James is saying, you know, humbly like Ulysses, be bound to it. Have other people hold you accountable to it. This is why we can say without a doubt, Old Testament and New, the life and teaching of Jesus, God is pro-church, God is pro-religion, God is pro-preaching, he is pro-community, pro-pastors. God wants you. He wants every one of his sons and daughters to be very, very, very religious. But, <laughs> I think you all know the sermon can end here because, well, the truth is there's a lot of people who seem very religious and they show up in a church and they say their prayers and they have their Bibles, but something just seems off. Here's why. Some people consider themselves very religious, 
but they're not actually bound to the Bible. They go to church and they say the prayer and they give the money and they do the outward thing, but when you look at their life, they're actually not bound to a lifestyle that honors the beliefs and the behaviors that God wants. James, same chapter of the Bible, addresses this. He says, those who consider themselves religious, an interesting phrase, they think they're religious, but they're really not bound. They consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Right? It's, it's like the guy who wants to seem very godly, so he brings his kids to church, but as soon as the service is over and there are no witnesses, like he doesn't have a tight rein on his tongue and he hurts his family with his anger and his selfishness. You know, God's in heaven saying, what? You think I just wanted you to sit somewhere for an hour? No, I, I wanted all of that to change your heart and, and change the way you treat the people closest to you in your life. You, you're not going to be perfect, but I want you to be bound to the behaviors that you heard on a Sunday morning, not just to hear them and then to leave them behind. You see, it turns out when you read the Bible that there's a lot of bad religion. People who would pick and choose, not just who would struggle to do the right thing, but who would leave whole pages and chapters of the Bible behind and the impact was not pleasing to God. Uh, like back in the Old Testament, in the days of the prophet Amos, you know, people went to church. In fact, they'd show up and, and give offerings to God. You know, the, the band would start playing. People would sing. They went mumble the lyrics. And yet when God looked at what was happening, he was not happy. Let me read to you Amos chapter 5. This is God speaking. He says, I hate. Did you know that God hates? I hate, God says, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies, your church services are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, you think you're religious, I will not accept them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Can you imagine if I showed up on stage and said, get the band out of here. Stop singing. I hate this. Well, here's why God felt so strongly. He says, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, people came to church and then they took advantage of the poor. The judge would sing spiritual songs and then he'd take a bribe and injustice got the final word. God said, if you want to be religious, don't pick one or the other. Actually be bound to the things I say in my book. And the New Testament comes around and Jesus shows up. And who does Jesus have the most beef with? The religious guys. Because they skipped church? Oh, no, they went to church. Because they never gave money to the church? Oh, no. Jesus said they would pick little leaves out of their garden and give one out of ten just to make sure they were tithing. But Jesus said to these church-going guys, you've strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel. You, you do the little religious thing, but you miss the big thing like love, forgiveness, justice, righteousness. Jesus was all for church, just not that kind of church. 
So, I would say, does God want you to be religious? Yes. But not partly religious. Not, not picking and choosing. People get hurt by partially religious people. So, write this down. Here's the biblical cure to this problem. The biblical cure is that we must refuse to buffet the Bible. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean by that? Quick show of hands, how many of you like buffets? If you're not raising your hand right now, I don't understand you as a human being. Buffets are the best. <laughs> Why are buffets amazing? Be <laughs> because you get what you want and you skip what you don't. Salad bar, no gracias. Dessert station, yes please. Give me the big, <laughs> you know, whatever you like, you can get at a buffet. Let me put it this way. At a buffet, your will is done. Right. And uh, Jesus says, we, we just can't do that with the teachings of God. Right? We, we can't skip the pages we don't like or the ones that are difficult. The Christian religion is a standard that is outside of us. And so Christ cares about all of it. So here's a big uh, religious reflection question for us all today. Is there, any, is there anything God is serving in his word that you're skipping? Is there any part, you know, just because it's costly and it's difficult and it's too challenging that, you know, you want to feel like you have this connection to God, but you're just going to not even try when it comes to that? Yeah. That could be a thousand different things for all of us here today. But I think James, back in the same chapter of the Bible, I think he puts his finger on maybe the two big areas where you and I might struggle most. Let me take you back to James's words. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. All right, so there's a kind of religion that God accepts, he loves. Here's what it looks like. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It seems to me there are two big ideas in pure religion is to help people and to stay pure. Right? There are distressed people. There are widows who've lost their companion. They're lonely. They need time and conversation. There are orphans who have no resources, no one to help them. Real religion sees people. It's not so busy praying that it can't help people. And, and real religion is bound not to the polluted ways of this world, but the pure ways of the Word of God. Which of the two is more of a struggle for you? I know what it is for me. I mean, I read my Bible, I make it to church, I got the auto pay set up to give generous offerings, but and sometimes I feel like the religious guy in the the parable of the Good Samaritan. Someone's in need. But I got a schedule to keep. I, I got boxes to check. I got things to do. And, and I wonder if God would say, hey, Mike, the, the point of the book is to help the people. The point of your church, not just to have church, it's to fill up on the love of the God who helps people and then to help people. 
And I'm not sure who you know that's in distress. A neighbor, a, a widow, an orphan, a poor person outside of church. But, but the goal of all this is to inspire us to love those people. Now, I realize all of you aren't financially rich, but I will say this. As we live in first century America, as this specific community is incredibly prosperous, we, we just, I, I can't read the Bible, I can't go more than five pages in the Bible without finding God's immense love for disadvantaged and impoverished people. It's, it's a huge thing. Read the book of Galatians. Like the, the Apostle Paul, when he went to spread the gospel, the other apostles said, okay, you can, but only if you don't forget the poor. And Paul said, well, obviously. <laughs> because biblical faith is bound to giving generously to those in need. And so I just want to push you religiously. I want to pastor you well. And I want to bind your heart. I want to bind your budget until the day you die to loving people in practical ways. That if you gave your pastor access to your schedule and your bank account, there would be evidence that what's on God's heart is on your heart. We can't, we can't worship in a fancy church and we can't jump in our Bluetooth cars and we can't make it home to our big screens without having a huge big heart for the thing that is on God's heart. So, people. And purity. Now, some people think they're very spiritual and they're all about people, about being kind, about being there with a hug and a prayer, but they've forgotten about moral purity. They bought into the, you know, it's, it, it's my truth and love is love and marriage is a piece of paper and I'm going to do what feels right. They've, they've totally forgotten what is also all over the pages of the Bible, that God is holy and pure and he loves righteousness and purity, that we should flee from sexual temptation, that God honors a marriage when a man and a woman have made a covenant together. The world will not tell us such things, but James is passionate about such things. Religion that God accepts is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, friends, God wants you to be religious. Uh, today, as I speak, as I read these words, what is, what is God trying to bind your life to? What's something that maybe slipped through your fingers that through his word he's, he's trying to make your new passion? But that was the hard part. Y'all ready for the fun part? <laughs> maybe when I say that, it, the spirit feels kind of heavy as God's like working on us. But I got to say, in the same book where I find these high standards for loving and sacrificing for other people, I find the most ridiculous, beautiful, life-changing, eternity-shifting, compelling message about the relationship that God has with us through Jesus. Uh, grab a pen, write it down this way. I think a relationship, at least a good, healthy relationship, is a connection with affection. And some of you maybe who grew up going to church, I don't know if you've ever heard this, that in real Christianity, what God wants to bind your beliefs to is that through Jesus, you have a connection that is bursting with affection. I'm going to give you my favorite three examples. There's plenty more. 
The Bible sometimes talks about the connection that people have with God like a perfect father in heaven with his incredibly adored kids. Let me show you one passage. Um, the old apostle John, 1 John chapter 3 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Most scholars think that John was like 90 years old when he wrote those words. Have you ever seen your great-grandpa get that amped up about anything? <laughs> this is what we are. I picture him like zooming around in the wheelchair, like fist bumping, like children of God. He, he could not believe it. And as, as a parent, man, I, can't get, I cannot get enough of this truth. Where my, where my mom's and dad's at in church today. Hands up nice and high. Parents, man, you know how you love your kids. Can you, can you imagine a God who loves us so much more? I got two daughters, uh, 15 and 13. And when I tuck them in at night, you know, the 15-year-old's kind of wishy-washy about the dad tuck you in part, but I'm going to wear her down, I swear. <laughs> I, I think about that like, oh, man, I would, I've seen these kids and all their flaws. They've sinned against me how many times? And yet I feel something for these two. I'd do anything for them. And I'm a sinful human. Imagine how God, I think about that. Well, God, this is, this is the affection you feel for me. I'm, I'm not a burden to you. I'm not like a footnote for you. I'm the kid that you love more than I love these kids. That thought, that thought blows my mind. Like, I cannot think that religion is rigid and dogmatic and boring and a have to when I think that it binds me to the love of a God who doesn't just put up with me or write some moral contract with me. He loves me more than I love my kids. That is insane. I, I don't blame John for the exclamation points. Children of God, this is what we are. <laughs> and then, if that wasn't good enough, the Bible also describes the Christian religion as a relationship where God is like a husband and we're his beloved bride. Isaiah chapter 62 says, As a bridegroom, or a groom, rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Uh, how many of you have gone to a wedding in the last uh, three months? Any summer weddings you celebrated? Uh, do you ever watch the groom at that epic moment in the wedding when the bride shows up for the first time? I remember years ago, there was this uh, husband named Josh. He's like this barrel-chested dude who could have snapped me with like his little, his little finger. He laid concrete for a living, and I'm standing right there. He's next to me, and then Megan shows up, and this dude, <laughs> he just melts with affection for his bride. And I'm just watching him, thinking, that, that's how God feels about us. Some people have like this uh, strict view of God, like he's a judge in heaven, <laughs> sending lightning bolts down when you mess up. No, no. You know what I think God is like? I think he's like Josh. And when Jesus, who bled and died to take away our sin, he saved us from all of that, what he did is to give us a righteousness, like a standing with God that makes us so moving that how is this possible? That God himself almost melts with emotion when he thinks about his people. I can't, I can't get my brain around that, but I love it so much. Think about the way I feel about Kim, my wife, and to know that that is like 1% of the affection and emotion that God has for me. It's, 
stunning. My religion is not just about an auto-pay offering or a Sunday habit. It's about connecting me to this God who loves me more than I would ever believe. And then, if that isn't enough, let me give you one more. Uh, Jesus sometimes said that Christianity is like having a perfect friendship with God. John 15, Jesus said, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Uh, you know when you're, when you're with your best friend and you don't have to impress them, your hair doesn't have to be fancy, throw on your sweatpants, like just uh, relax, be, talk, connect. That's how Jesus said he is with his people. Can you imagine if like, oh, Jesus showed up right now in the middle of this church service? He's like bursting with glory and beauty and oh, it's like, he pauses the oh part and he looks at you, said, everyone, my best friend is here. <laughs> You're like, what? Because <laughs> he's, he's not ashamed or embarrassed. It's not like he needs to make time to connect with you. He says, I have called you friends. Like the best relationships that you and I ache and long for, to have a, a perfect relationship with our parents, a perfect relationship with a partner, a perfect relationship with our friends. This is what the Christian religion is all about. And I got to tell you, I love I love being religious. I love the fact that a thousand Sundays have bound me to a belief in God that I never could have invented on my own. Who, who would ever say, I make God happy? I'm Jesus' best friend. God loves me more. Like, I, I would never be bold enough to say that, but my religion, the Christian religion of this book, promised me, this is me, exactly that. Friends, Jesus did not bleed and die and rise to bind you to a pew. He did all that to bind you to a person. A perfect relationship with a perfect God. So, I didn't take that little note out of the windshield wiper of the van and tear it up and put it in my pocket. But I could have. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. False. It is a religion, thank God. It's a belief that I'm bound to, specifically the, the belief that I have a God who is my Father in heaven, who is like a groom with his bride, who is like a best friend, and a friendship that will never end. Uh, grab a pen one last time. Let me write down this truth. I, I would propose to you, biblically, that Christianity is a relational religion. It is a religion, but it is so relational. Or call it a religious relationship. It's a connection to God that we're bound to, and it is oh so beautiful. Uh, so a couple months ago, uh, my wife Kim and I celebrated 20 years of marriage together. Ooh, 20 years. That's pretty awesome, huh? Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, 12 of them have been awesome. So we are super happy to... No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> My daughter said, Dad, that was so mean when you said that at the last church service. <laughs> no, we haven't had a perfect marriage. We've had uh, ups and downs. We've been to counseling before as we we're trying to raise kids and get through it all. But I, I would say this, uh, Kim and I are so close. Our relationship right now, thank you, God, is so, so strong. And if you ask me and Kim, like, well, how, how did you get this relationship? She and I would both give you the same answer. We're religious. We have bound ourselves to a weekly habit called date night. Oh, 
date night is the best night. <laughs> or we don't wait to see how we feel or what we think or what y'all are doing. We say no to almost everything and almost everyone, and we bind that time together so we can connect and eat good food and make out and listen to each other. <laughs> I promised my kids I wouldn't go any further than that, right? It's this weekly time that we connect. And what do you know? Being religious about that once-a-week schedule makes our relationship better than ever. Hmm. Sound familiar? God wants you to be religious. He just wants you to wait and see how the weekend goes. He wants you to be in a church, this church or some other church, week after week. Why? To waste your time? No. He wants to speak words to you that you would never, ever believe if he didn't say them again and again and again, that he is your father in heaven. He is your best friend. As a groom rejoices over his bride, so God rejoices over you. What a relationship. So, see you next Sunday. Let's pray. Oh, God. Uh, we live in a world that um, encourages us to be spiritual but not religious. Uh, a world that sees the flaws of the church and the, the pastors and the televangelists and throws the baby out with the bathwater. Um, God, thank you for saving us from that. Um, th- thank you that at the end of the day, we're not just bound to how we feel or what we think. Instead, we're bound to this unchanging promise of your unchanging love. I pray for everyone who's here today, everyone who's listening, that you would bind us to a community of faith, to spiritual oversight, to accountability, and most importantly, to these beliefs about your unconditional love for us through Christ. Um, John couldn't get used to it, and we can't either, that we are your children, and you are a perfect Father who always is there for us, always forgives us, always loves us. Uh, We wouldn't believe it unless you had repeatedly said it, so thank you, God. Um, I I pray to God that our religion won't stop here. That after the amen and the closing blessing, we would walk out and bind ourselves to behaviors of helping and loving people. Uh, That's never easy, God. Um, Love is almost always an interruption. So help us to remember this is our calling. This is our purpose. And inspire us with your forgiveness to do it day after day after day until we see your loving face. God, we pray all these things in the beautiful name of your one and only Son through whom we are born again and can call you our Father in heaven. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.